lost my voice cheering for the Jimenez's. <laughs> All right, good morning, everyone. So a few weeks ago, I was talking with a friend, and she was telling me that she had gotten off of all social media. And I was like, why'd you get off social media? And she confessed that she was struggling because she was comparing what people were posting with how her life was. And it was bringing her down, and we, we can all relate to that, right? Like with Facebook, Instagram, we see everyone's, you know, life stories. And if we feel like they're doing better than we are, we could get depressed. We could get anxious. But the opposite is also true. Nobody wants to admit it, but when you see someone else's life and you feel like, hey, doing kind of better than they are, there's, a, there's like a little sense of smugness, right? So I'll give you an example. I'm going to make a confession. So when I was 30, I was living outside of New York. And I met all these people that weren't from New York, and they came from like the Bible Belt and the South. And I wasn't married then, and I felt this sense of like subtle judgment for not being married, being 30 years old. See, like they come from places where it's like, the phrase is like ring by spring, like if you're not engaged by the time you graduate college, you know, you failed at life, and I had failed, I had failed. And now, you know, I've since gotten married, but now I look on Facebook and I'm like, oh, now they're 30, and I don't see any status change for them, and there's a, a tiny little bit of, uh, of smugness. And uh, today's passage, we're going to be reading about some people in the crowd with Jesus who are kind of doing something similar. They're comparing, they're speculating, they might be feeling a bit better about themselves, but then Jesus has to lay down for them the real facts. You guys ready to hear what he has to say? So let's go to Luke. We're in Luke chapter 13 today. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. We're reading 1 to 9. I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way, in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure, then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Praise God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are present with us this morning. We thank you that we are able to gather and listen to your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. You would speak to our hearts. You would convict us. Father, I pray that I would be less and you would be everything, Lord. 
would we hear from you today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in this series called Road to Jerusalem, right? So Jesus is headed off toward Jerusalem where he knows he's going to die. And he's been giving these messages, and the messages have been dark and urgent. He's been warning people of what's going to happen in the end. But yet, it seems from this passage that people are still not getting it. They're not getting it. That judgment is going to come for them, too. So in this passage, there's this recent tragedy that got brought up to Jesus. And this first verse is a little tricky to understand. This first verse says that, there were some Galileans, so there were some people from Galilee, and they said that Pilate had their blood mingled with their sacrifices. Like, what does that mean? That's, that's, that's a really weird phrase. So the word mingled is actually an expression. It just means there were two events happening at the same time. And what was happening at that time was that there were Galileans, there were Jewish people who had gone to the temple to present their sacrifices. And this was likely during Passover. They were there ready to slaughter their sacrifices. And Pilate, who was the governor of Judea, he had them killed. He had them killed. So that's what it means when it says this horrible phrase, Pilate had their blood mingled with the, the blood of their sacrifices. This is a horrific story. This is a horrific story. Imagine you guys, imagine we were in Bible study. And then the news came, hey, yo, there were some people in Sunset. They were going to church and they got killed by the police. Like, that's horrifying, right? That's horrifying. So they bring this up to Jesus. Now, this event isn't recorded. It's not mentioned in the other Gospels or the Scriptures. Um, and we don't have a historical record of it. But it fits in line to what we know was happening at the time. The Roman government wasn't good to the Jews. There were uprisings and revolts. So possibly that happened. We don't know. We know, we know Pilate wasn't, wasn't that great. But this gets brought up to Jesus, and Jesus' response is really interesting. See, some scholars think that the people wanted him to make some kind of statement. Makes, you know, condemn Rome. Maybe the Pharisees wanted him to get in trouble, catching him in something that he shouldn't say. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, what Jesus does is he confronts the thoughts that they left unsaid. He confronts these thoughts that everyone's thinking, but no one's saying. He says, he asked them, do you think these Galileans, what, you think these people were worse sinners than everyone else in Galilee? Or in other words, he's saying, hey, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking they did something to deserve this. And he brings up another example. He talks about uh, there was a tragedy where there was a tower in Siloam. It, it fell and it killed 18 people. So like, picture like some scaffolding fell, it killed a bunch of people. And he asked them the same question. What, you think those 18 were worse sinners? You think they did more wrong than everyone else in Jerusalem? You think they deserved it, don't you? See, there was this thinking in Jewish theology. In Jewish theology, there was this understanding that if you sin, God would bring curses. But in people's judgmental hearts, they would see tragedy, they would see suffering, and they would say, oh, you must have been sinning. You must have been sinning against God. And that's bad logic, right? We know that's bad logic. If I'm like, if a ball goes through a window, the window's going to break. And then if people are like, you see a broken window, dang, who's playing baseball? Like, that's bad logic. And this isn't the only time Jesus has to correct this. He calls them out. He's like, no, I know what you're thinking, and that's not true, but he does more. 
He does more than that. Jesus tells the people straight up, look, you're thinking about these people. Look, you're in the same boat as those who died. You're all going to likewise perish. See, we are all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat that's headed toward eternal destruction, eternal punishment. See, in Psalm 53, the psalmist writes that God is looking down on his people. He's looking down at the humans he's created, and he's looking to see if there's anyone who seeks God, anyone who's looking for him. But it says that all have fallen away. All the humans, all the people have become corrupt, have become corrupt. And Paul quotes this psalm when he writes his letter to the Romans because he's emphasizing to the church, look, everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned, and this is true of our nature. Every single person, if we are descended from the human race, we are in rebellion against God. And that is hard to understand. Like, it's hard because many of us think we're pretty good people. You know, we take care of our families. You know, we're good to our neighbors. We're good to our coworkers, unless someone crosses us. But, you know, generally, we're good. We're good, and that's why we should get into heaven. And that's just not possible. That's not possible because we've inherited this spiritual nature in ourselves. I was talking with my husband the other day about our kids. So I have a son and a daughter. And I was telling him, I was thinking about it. I feel like our kids are a mix of us both. Like my son, I think he's an extrovert. Like he has anxiety, but he genuinely loves people, which is kind of like his mom. But he's also really literal, down to earth realistic, so I feel like he gets that from his dad, right? And then my daughter, I think she's an introvert because she don't need people. She just plays, she's good on her own. She's gonna be, she's gonna grow up and go to the movies by herself and have no anxiety about it. Like she's good, but she also has, so I, th I feel like she got that from my husband, from her dad, but she's got a lot of like crazy ideas. I feel like she got that from me. <laughs> But my point is that my kids did not get to choose the genes that they got. They don't get to choose how they were designed. They're descended from me and my husband. Like, this is, this is who they are. And in the same vein, we don't get to decide that we're good. We don't get to say that we're good. It doesn't matter how good we feel like we are. You know, because in our minds, a lot of times, goodness is relative. Well, we're better than that guy. Just like the crowd was saying here, you know, they, you know, they got killed. You know, a tower fell on, that, fell on them. You know, I'm better than them. I must be better than them. I'm still here. See, we think that way, and it's not true. See, if we descended from the human race, we're in rebellion against God. We sin against God. We've all fallen away. We cheat. We lie. We steal. We worship ourselves. And because of that, we're deserving of eternal condemnation. So the first humans, Adam and Eve, died a spiritual death the day that they ate some fruit. The day they chose to go their own way instead of the way of God. They were cast away from God. And that's going to be our fate as well. I know that seems unfair, but I'll give, you, I'll give you another example. My son went through this phase where he used to hit his sister. And then I had to take him away. And then he, he was upset because he didn't want to be taken away. I'd be like, yo, you hit people. And you can't be with us if you're going to hit people. You can't stay with us if you're going to hit your sister. See, the payment for sin, Paul wrote to the Romans that the wages of sin is death. 
The wages of sin is death. That means our sin, what we are owed is death. What we are owed is eternal punishment because we have turned away from God. See, we're all in the same boat. We're in the same boat as those who we think are the worst of sinners. We're in the same boat as those who murder, those who kill, those who abuse children. We're in the same boat as the people in the militant group known as Hamas, who shamelessly parade their evil while shouting, God is great, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy, yet they're sitting right next to us. We're in the same boat as Israel, as the Israeli government and the military officials who have been oppressing and committing atrocities against the Palestinian people for decades. Do you guys think anyone is innocent? Everyone has sinned. No one is acknowledging their wrongs. No one is seeking God. Everyone's justifying themselves. Everyone's seeking sympathy. And we do the same. And we do the same. Now you might be like, hold up, Tiff. Hold up, Tiff. Yo, I'm not killing people here. I'm not dropping bombs on people. It don't matter. It don't matter. Jesus told us in Matthew that if you insult your brother, you're just as liable to judgment as if you committed murder. Is that wild? If you look at someone with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Like it's the same thing. It's the same thing. If you trash someone behind their back, that's sin. If you're on TikTok looking at thirst traps because you like them, that's sin. That's sin. It doesn't matter how the sin is manifesting itself. They're all indications of the same heart, the same heart that is against God. Look, we're all in the same boat. We might be looking at other people's evil, judging them, and Jesus is like, look, no, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. But there's good news. Hey, everybody who knows, everybody who knows. And it's easy to miss it. It's easy to miss it. It's easy to miss it. We're all in the same boat. We're all headed off that cliff. We're all headed towards death and punishment. Unless, unless, see, there's an escape clause in Jesus' warning. There's an escape clause. He says three words, unless you repent. Unless you repent. So to repent in the Greek means to feel remorse. Like you feel bad about going this way. So you're gonna change your mind. You're gonna go another way. You're gonna go a different way. It's kinda like, you ever see uh, movies where someone's trying to escape from something? Like let's say uh, they're in a basement or a ship or something and, and it's, it's flooding, so they're swimming up. You know, they're, they're treading water, they're trying to stay afloat because they're trying to stay alive. And then they realize, hey, no, wait. There's a door down there. There's a door with a latch. If I can get that latch open, if I can bust that door open, I can be saved. So instead of going up, trying to stay alive, I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna swim down and get out. See, there's, an ex there's a way out. There's an escape clause. There's, there's, a, there's a door to get off of the boat. And Jesus is that way. Jesus is the way out. See, when we repent, we're like, yo, I'm not going to follow this sinful way. I'm going to turn around, but which way are we going to go? Which way are we going to go? So in John's gospel, 
John, the Apostle John, records Jesus saying that famous line, for God so loved the world, for God loved the world in this way, that he sent his only son, he sent Jesus, that whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See, whoever follows Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus is going to be getting off that boat. They're going to be going another way. They're going to be going another way. But what about our sin? What about our sin, Tiff? Tiff, you told me that the wages of sin are death. You said that because of my sin, I'm supposed to die. I committed a lot of wrong against God. Look, I know this. And I know I'm going to commit more sin because I know I'm not going to change overnight. What about that? What about that death? What about that death? See, to the Colossians, Paul wrote, you who were dead in your sin, God made you alive. He forgave your sin and he nailed it to the cross. See, Jesus on the cross, he took that death that you were supposed to get. He took that death that we were all due. <laughs> He took it away and our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, are forgiven. Jesus' death paid for the death that we were supposed to get. If you've ever been confused about the message of Christianity, if you never understood the gospel, this is it. Jesus' life, his birth, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection we're all a rescue mission from God who did not desire his humans to perish. He did not want us to perish. The very existence of Jesus right now in this passage, warning the crowds, warning the people, that's evidence of God's love for his people. Jesus is saying, repent and follow me. Get off this boat. You don't know where it's going. It's not going where you think. Repent, follow me. I'm the way out. I am the way out. See, now repentance, we've been talking about repentance. Repentance is not as easy as it sounds. You know, we know this. It's not like we took the wrong train. We just got to cross over to the platform and go back. You know, that's, it's not like just feeling bad. Hey, sorry, sorry, God, let me, let, me, let me clean myself up. You know, it's not as easy. Jesus continues with this parable about, about a fig tree. So there's this fig tree. It should have been producing fruit for a minute now, but it hasn't. And the owner's been checking. Three years he's been checking, and there's still no fruit, so he tells his vine dresser, we could say gardener. He tells his gardener, he's like, yo, chop it down because it's taking up resources from the other plants in the garden. See, now this fig tree is a condemnation of God's people who had not been living up to the purpose that he had called them to. Now for us, this illustration is a reminder that those who repent will bear fruit. Those who have life will show evidence of it in our lives. That is the fruit that comes out when we follow Jesus. Uh, when he follows Jesus. See, repentant lives show fruit. There's this line that I used to like when I was a, a younger believer. Y'all might have heard it. Maybe you think it's corny, but I'm going to say it. It goes like this. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be any evidence to convict you? Would there be any evidence to convict you? What would the prosecution bring to the court? What fruit is shown by the fact that you call yourself a Christian? What? We wear a cross necklace. We got a Bible verse on our Instagram profile. 
Maybe we like to study. We got books and books on theology. We got highlights in our Bible. Is, is, that, is that it? Is that the fruit we got? Maybe we should be asking ourselves. Maybe we should be asking, um, are we caring for the least in society? Do we have concern for the poor and those who are oppressed by injustice? Do we walk with those whom the church has rejected? Whose feet are we washing? Are we working to make disciples? See, if we have no fruit, if there's no evidence that we have changed, that we have changed our lives, if there's no evidence of that, other than that little emoji that we have on our profile, if there's no evidence, then maybe we have never really repented. Maybe we haven't really turned around. See, fruit comes from a repentant life. Fruit comes from being connected to Jesus. You know, many of us think like that's the goal. The goal is to produce fruit. Notice in the parable, the fig tree is not going to make fruit. It's not going to turn around. It's been three years. We read this. We all know that fruit tree, that fig tree is not going to change. What happens is that the gardener has to intercede. He's like, hold on, owner. Look, I'm going to dig around the tree so that water can get to its roots. Yeah, I'm going to put down manure. I'm going to put down manure. See, the, the fig tree cannot change itself. It can't just will some fruit. It can't will fruit on its own. In, uh, in John's gospel, it records Jesus. He's using a different illustration, but he's calling himself the vine. He says, whoever abides in me, that means whoever remains with me, whoever stays with me, it's him who's going to bear fruit. See, we bear fruit when we're connected to Jesus. We bear fruit when we're connected to the source of life. It's not something that we can just, I mean, we can. It's going to be really tiring, though. It's going to be really tiring without Jesus, but he is the source of life. And then it will happen naturally. See, we're all in the same boat. We're all going to perish unless we repent, we follow Jesus, and we're going to bear fruit. And we're going to bear fruit. So I have one last point. I don't want us to miss this. Jesus, Justin, not Jesus, Justin spoke about this last week in his sermon. The, the, the tree is still scheduled to be cut down. The axe is still coming. The tree's got one year. See, there's a limit to how long the tree can continue on not producing fruit. And it's insane how, how gracious God has been with us. It is insane. Can you imagine, let's say you own a business and you hire the salesperson and year one, the salesperson doesn't produce a profit for you. It's like, all right, you know, he's new. He's new, we're gonna give him some training. We're gonna, you know, tell him in his annual review Second year, no profit, nothing. He's not making anything for your money. And you're like, all right, all right, maybe he just, he's, he's getting warmed up, you know, we're gonna give him another chance. Third year, third year, this salesperson has produced nothing and yet you're still keeping him on payroll. Like that's insane. That's insane and it's insane that God is still waiting for us to respond. That God still desires for us to respond. See, we forget that judgment is coming. We forget that the axe is coming. In Matthew's book, Matthew records Jesus saying that when he returns, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. 
So the sheep are his people. They're going to go off to eternal life. The goats are the ones who are going to go off to eternal punishment. See, there's going to be a separation. And many of us have floated along with the church for a long time thinking we're good. But in the end, it's only those who follow Jesus who are going to be saved. See, my fear, my fear is that there are some of us who are sitting here in front of me today who have called ourselves Christian for a long, long time and we never understood the gospel. My fear is that there are those of us who thought we were Christian and don't understand why it's so hard, why we can't produce good fruit. We condemn ourselves because it's so hard to produce good fruit because we've never connected ourselves to Jesus. My fear is for those of us who wandered into a church one day, we made a lot of friends, maybe we were looking for community, got plugged in, started participating, started serving, and yet never knew Jesus. My fear is for those of us who come here week after week for someone else to make them happy. And every week we listen to, this, to the message. We, every week we stand there while everyone's singing. And yet we don't know that judgment is coming. That we don't have forever to make a decision. That we don't have forever. See, we have not been warned enough. We have not been told enough that judgment is coming. We have not been told, hey, you can't just sit here forever. Any one of us could be facing God tomorrow. And I don't say this because I want to scare you. Jesus isn't trying to scare the people. But judgment is coming. If you are a believer, if you are a disciple of Jesus, a true disciple, you understand everything that I have said, you have turned your life around, you're following Jesus, then I beg you, add to your fruit and learn how to articulate the gospel. Learn how to share the gospel. Learn how to contextualize the gospel so the people that are listening can understand you. Remember how you have been rescued. You have been rescued from death and now warn others. Warn others, warn your family, warn your friends, warn your coworkers, warn your neighbors. Let them know there is a way out. There is a way out. If you are a Christian, pray for the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. We should have already been praying. Pray that they would not only have a physical peace, but an eternal peace with Jesus. Pray that God would mitigate the effects of human sin. Pray that every person, from the refugee to the prime minister to the terrorist, would know the true Jesus, the true Yeshua, the true Isa al-Masih. Let them know who he is. Pray that all those who have committed evil will experience a conversion that is no less than Saul the murderer turned Paul the apostle. Look, God can do it. God can do it. Pray that they may have safety not only here but beyond for all eternity, for every Jew and every Muslim that they would know there is more, there is more, and that God has interceded for them, that Jesus has come, that their Messiah has come. Let them see the true prophet of God. If you identify as a Christian, 
but you've never understood what that meant. Let's say you were raised in a Christian family. You always thought you were a Christian. You know, maybe you, you, you were in youth group. You know all the youth group songs, but, but you never repented. And you know this. You've never, you've never changed your life. I think most of us, many of us know this in our hearts. That's okay. That's okay. I was not raised as a Christian, but my parents told us that we were Christians, even though we never went to church and we never read the Bible. I didn't even know what was in the Bible. So I was pretty confused. So when I gave my life to Christ, I told my youth leader, my exact words were, I don't know what I was before. I don't know. But from now on, I wanted to live my life for God. See, it doesn't matter what we think we should have known by now. It doesn't matter if we think that we've been good. What matters is what we decide, and we can decide that today. If, you, if finally, if you don't identify as a Christian, if you don't identify as a Christian at all, if you're here because you're seeking, maybe you're exploring, if you're here because someone else wants you to be here, know that it's not an accident that you're sitting amongst the followers of Jesus. If you're watching online, if you stumbled upon this video or someone sent you this video and you're not a Christian, know that it is not an accident that you're watching this and you've heard the gospel preached to you. And I beg you, get off the boat get off the boat. It's not headed to where you think it's headed. You might think you have a good life now. You might think like things are going pretty well. They're not going to be good forever. They're not going to be good forever. Look, I'm going to be real with you. I'm not being paid to tell you this. I'm not trying to scam you. The church is not trying to scam you. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm telling you this because Jesus genuinely does love you. And he wants to save your life. He wants to save your life. In the back, as we have every week, we will have people ready and willing to pray with you. If you feel a tug in your heart, if you feel like the Spirit is saying something to you, if you want to commit to Jesus today, know that we will be here for you. The church will help you. The church will help you walk with him and know him and learn how to read the scriptures. The church will help you follow. Jesus said, he gave this warning, unless we repent, we're all going to perish. Get off the boat. Get off the boat. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you did not leave us to perish, that you did not abandon us to the faith that we have put ourselves on. We thank you, Lord, that you are good and you love your people. And we pray that we would know you. We pray for, the, for Israel. We pray for the Palestinians that they would know you that they would know the love that you offer them. We pray this for our brothers, our sisters, our family, our friends, those who are sitting amongst us, those who watch us online. We pray 
that we would all follow you, that we would turn from the way we have been going and find new life in you. In Jesus' name we pray.